Hi everyone! Welcome back to another episode of Apply Club Events, hosted by IASA's Applied Anthropology Network. In this event, we had the pleasure of listening to Iveta Adjakova, a senior consultant at Stripe Partners, with the topic, How can anthropology enrich data science and help build better recommender systems? We hope you're going to enjoy this episode, and please don't forget to follow us on our diverse channels like Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Slack, and more, which you can find in the show notes. Great. Well, thank you very much for, for this opportunity to present um, this um, case study and also to have a discussion with fellow anthropologists um, and discuss themes around um, automatization and personalization and recommender systems. I'm Iveta Haidakova. I'm a consultant at Stripe Partners and um, I'm also an anthropologist and I've actually been a member of EASA for a really long time. Um, I have attended some of your biennial conferences and that was when I was still in academia. Um, in 2015, I decided to leave academia, I changed careers, and I moved to London. And uh, for the last three years, I've been working at Stripe Partners. Um, Stripe Partners are a research agency, we're based in London, and we specialize in ethnographic research. Um, at Stripe Partners, I've been lucky to work on some really exciting projects um, and with great tech clients um, and non-tech clients as well. And uh, I'm really excited to be able to talk um, to you about one of these projects. Um, so my talk today is based on this co-authored case study, which has been published and presented at the EPIC 2020 conference. This project that we, um, so you can you can read the full uh, paper on EPIC website, and also you can watch the EPIC presentation. Um, the project that we did with Spotify was to help them understand what makes people derive meaning from listening experiences, um, how recommended systems could help forge meaning and how Spotify could improve discovery by creating more meaningful connections between listeners and content. Like many other streaming platforms, um, the value of Spotify, uh, the value that Spotify provides to its users is in providing personalized recommendations. And for that purpose, it needs to harness a lot of data from millions of users. However, there are some specific constraints to the data that um, Spotify can get and what it can understand about users. So first of all, we don't really know what happens after users hit the play button. Uh, the experience of listening to audio happens in our ears and our minds and our bodies. And um, compared to more visual interfaces, such as YouTube or TikTok, um, we basically, as because the users don't interact with the app, we don't uh, receive much data. And um, 
also you could be theoretically you know running listening to music and basically uh, Spotify does not know what is happening whether you're enjoying the music um, or not second music listening is contextual uh, people um, listen to music in different environments with other people around a playlist that might be relevant to um, your office environment um, and you might be enjoying it with your colleagues um, could not be enjoyable when you're listening to it on a, a road trip or when you have kids around. And finally, people derive uh, value from music in very different ways. Um, you, different types of users have different expertise in music and they um, make choices um, in different ways. They use different metaphors, they have different expectations. You might have people who are very confident in selecting music, um, listening to, they might want to listen to an entire album. And then you might have other people who prefer to listen to the radio because they don't have to make any choices themselves. And our challenge was to understand how and why users derive music, uh, derive meaning from music. And for that, we um, used, I, I want to talk about how we used uh, theory to frame and understand and tackle this challenge. So I feel like um, often there is this idea that anthropologists are able to understand people because they are trained in ethnographic research. And while completely agree with that, I also think that the value that we bring um, is in the theory and the concepts that we use. And um, of course, for applied anthropology and for solving business problems, um, we need to simplify those um, theories and concepts. And to tackle this precise uh, challenge with Spotify, we were hugely inspired by Lucien Karpik's uh, book called Valuing the Unique, The Economics of Singularities. And I strongly recommend that book to everybody, even though it's very difficult, almost impossible to read. <laughs> um, so Karpik's book discusses the differences between commodities and singularities. Um, for him, singularities such as music or film, but also wine and also professional services such as psychotherapy, um, they are different because they are multidimensional, they are not easily comparable and therefore their value is always uncertain. Compare that to other products that are more simple, where you can easily um, compare um, one to another. You can evaluate uh, whether those products are easy to access for you. Um, you can compare them based on size and you can decide whether the cost is um, appropriate, etc. With music, you, of course, cannot do that. And this um, approach or the, this, this theory that Karpik presents um, led us to, to articulate that these um, frameworks that often rely on the needs, on user needs or jobs to be done are simply not enough when we want to understand uh, meaning and these meaningful connections with content. 
And um, this is this uh, table um, kind of illustrates how we used Karpik's very complicated theory and how we simplified it um, to help our clients understand the difference between means and meaning. Um, to sum up, um, meaning emerges throughout an experience. It, um, it's very connected to users' identity and also um, it's judged by how relevant to that person um, it is, this experience, as opposed to um, simple uh, consumer goods that can be judged on um, cost or how efficient it, uh, they are, how, how easily accessible they are. Karpik still um, shows that even though singularities are very complex and their value um, cannot easily be assigned to them. Um, there are, they rely on, these markets of singularities rely on complex mechanisms that enables us to make decisions and make choices and to navigate this uncertainty. So um, in, in markets of singularities, as Karpik argues, uh, we rely on what he calls judgment devices and trust devices. Judgment devices act kind of as guideposts. Um, they provide cognitive support and opinion. So these could be in case of music, these could be charts, for example, um, and um, or uh, personal or reviews, personal recommendations, etc. And trust devices, Karpik says, are, are um, these devices that help remove um, or suspend uncertainty. And they often rely on much larger symbolic systems such as education or norms. So when it comes to, again, when it comes to music, um, to trust uh, somebody's recommendation, to trust the recommendation of a critic, you actually rely on their education, on their experience, etc. And um, Karpik explains that this uncertainty about what is valuable, what is not, is a defining characteristic of these markets of singularities and therefore requires a very different approach. Um, he argues that uh, in order for us to navigate these singularities, we actually need to juggle so much. We need to juggle discovery, interpretation and evaluation of judgment devices themselves, of um, singularities themselves. We also need to constantly discover, interpret and evaluate our own taste and also um, our use of scarce resources. So what this means uh, for recommender systems is that re recommender system needs to become a better judgment device and a trust device and needs to be able to perform this in an autom automated way. So this um, illustrates how we used this framing, this theory um, to, to create a framework that could help um, identify what is meaningful to people and also could help uh, product team understand that in order to forge that meaning 
to people, they need to provide cues and proof points. Cues would be um, elements that help locate this meaning to a person and proof points are these moments of validation. And we also, as part of our research, we identify these nine experiences of meaning um, that people talked about. Some of them are related to, um, I'm not going to go into detail, uh, but they're, um, for example, for some people, it is meaningful to be able to identify with um, a singer. Uh, for other people, it might be more meaningful to, um, to, to, to go back to like a personal memory. Another benefit of this theory or another use of this theory um, was to help, it helped us understand um, how people derive meaning from music and how um, different types of users basically require different um, cues and proof points, how they require different types of judgment devices and trust devices. So no matter what audience segment people belong to, what kind of user they are, they still want to have that meaningful connection. They still want to experience music as meaningful. Um, and this approach inspired by Karpik helped us identify two cultural models of um, engagement. And both of these are products of culture and they are available to us. Um, and what we identified is that people often switch between these different um, models of engagement. So we, we um, call them musical engagement and non-musical engagement. Some, some listeners um, geared towards this musical engagement where music is the focus of their experience. They um, use and are very confident in using established cognitive tools such as vocabulary describing musical properties or classification into genres. Um, these users often um, rely on expert opinion and they value uniqueness and originality. And then there's another type of musical engagement where the listener is the focus of the experience, where um, their personal memories, for example, are more important. And this type of engagement um, often relies on very fast classifications. Um, so not genres, genres don't make sense to, um, to these users, um, but they often use classifications that are inspired by their personal experience. They are often more attuned to popularity and common opinion. And also they value and enjoy when they are real, when they sense proximity to the artist. So to give an example, um, we spoke to um, a listener who liked Beyonce and the reason why she liked Beyonce was because Beyonce represented this um, archetype of a strong uh, woman. And therefore the cues that might forge this, that might help her get meaning from Beyonce would be precisely uh, cueing that Beyonce is, um, is this archetype, represents this archetype. Um, 
These cues and proof points are very important um, for contextualizing um, music and uh, for connecting to um, experiences of meaning. And it is it explains why for some listeners radio is really important because it you in on the radio you have hosts who will introduce a song they will explain why that song is um, what the meaning behind the song is um, they might also um, explain the story around the music and similar um, YouTube is also um, full of cues, visual cues, um, but also you can see comments that people post. So it really these these other platforms um, can help users derive this meaning um, more easily. Um, so the the framework that we uh, we provided um, helped Spotify. Um, kind of use this for their new uh, product development. And this is a quote from the other researcher um, that we worked with on, on this project. Uh, she said, new product, product, new product prototypes are incorporating cues and proof points to help users connect with audio content that has meaning for them and are common across product areas now. So this is the um, the presentation, and now I'm curious about everybody's opinions and perspectives, and answers or comments, thoughts um, on this question. How can anthropology better address the challenges related to scale, automatization, and uh, personalization? Great, Iveta. Thank you very much. Uh, round of virtual applause um, to this amazing speech um, and uh, session. Okay, so now um, we will go into a breakout sessions. I see that some people are dropping off. This is completely normal. Um, let's maybe wait a few minutes. And if any anyone already has a, a more general question for Iveta, you can post them in the chat or directly ask um, out loud. All right, so um, let's see, who wants to give us a summary of the breakout room? Who wants to be the first one? How was it generally? <laughs> Everybody shaking their head. Difficult question, yeah, we just discussed it in, in the groups, um, yeah. but who wants to start, Simon? Yeah, let's start with um, maybe the broad frame, of course, brought us back to like the the old bifurcation between big and thick data. Um, and the other say that, you know, the road is not like the map is not a road or a map is not a world, so to speak. So um, we were more thinking in terms of complementarity, um, as in we often see um, things being quantified. And I think was it Nikola Tesla was said that, you know, everything can be expressed in frequency. So uh, um, there's a lot of things that can end up in, in, in numbers and can later on be molded into, into, into graphs, whatever um, mode of presentation or modality of um, visualization that you prefer, but still it remains abstract like for instance a certain thing you might observe that is used to take stock of and then later on turn into 
regularity is maybe not really representative of the thing that you know it used to have and then we get a thing you often get like the risk of, of reification and there's maybe a thing that anthropologists can do to you know complete the picture a little bit more is to make it like no more multi-model to bring more of an empirical reality that is more performative and more concrete instead of you know being just there to like a couple of dashes or a couple of, of dots that you know say something that are workable but are more meant to be heuristic instead of being like a, a result in itself that is just fine as that. Very interesting. Thanks, Sam. I bet that you want to um, comment on this or, or add to this or anything anybody else wants to add to this? I'll have to think. So it's okay. I mean, this is now kind of an, a really open discussion. Everybody can just talk out loud. You don't have to raise hands. You can just shout out. Um, or summarize a group again. If nobody, um, I'm, I'm going to ask an, a question to Iveta back because you you asked us this question, right? So somehow you wanted to to get sparing on this. Um, what do you think are some of the kind of the big benefits on on how anthropology can help? automation or personalization become more right yeah so i i kind of like having worked in this space and having thought about like technology and automation and algorithms i've become like equally fascinated but also equally kind of concerned with um with what technology how technology impacts some of our abilities skills etc so one thing is um the this this thing around needing cues and proof points to get to something that is meaningful to me is both fascinating but it's also a little bit worrying because with certain plat i feel like there's so much um content these days and it's all like so personalized um, that I almost feel like I might lose my ability to know what I like in this in this huge um, yeah in, in so much content that's offered to me and that always speaks to some part of me. Then how do I really figure out what it is that I want and what is meaningful to me? So there's like there's one concern. Then second is some thoughts around like, you know, we talked about it in our group as well. Um, are we shaping our algorithms or are we shaped by algorithms? And what is it that is really, um, I mean, what is our relationship to, to algorithms? Like if I'm listening to music, um, and my listening habits are feeding the algorithms and I'm providing some value to the recommender system, but I have no control over it. It's almost like the scale is so huge that I just don't even know what I'm doing, how it impacts me. And, and finally, there's this um, 
there's this thing that I've been thinking about, and it's inspired by this. Um, um, she's a, I don't know, she's a sociologist or, or what her background exactly is. Her name is Wendy Chan. And she talks about um, how algorithms are often based on this assumption that people like what people like them like. And she calls this like this homophilia. And then she says, but there's also another thing that we as people have, like there's this desire or curiosity about something that's different. She calls that heterophilia. And I often wonder like, you know, how, um, how can we introduce that into, into algorithms and yeah, what would be the benefits and the dangers of that? That's, that's really super interesting, I think, Iveta. Just today I had a talk um, in my project again on, on how we kind of, how we could possibly build some sort of basic recommendation system, right? Um, and um, what I was suggested was also to, to kind of think about, okay, let's do a quick survey. Let's see what a thousand people say about this topic and what kind of products they use. And then we just collect some other cues about those people and match those cues to other people. And if they match, then they also like those products, right? That's how it's often built. Um, my concrete question was um, maybe for you or anyone else in the room, in the end, you're sitting with somebody that uses SQL or Excel or some kind of database, right? And there you have those hard numbers in there um, or kind of um, information pieces. And then you come in as an anthropologist and say, you know, the world is uh, much more complex, contextual, there are sentiments, um, et cetera, et cetera. How do you match this, you, what you bring as an anthropologist to the Excel sheet? How does that work? I always ask, ask that question myself. Oh, uh, I think you, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. Go, 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 Amit. I was just gonna say, add that. Uh, I just gonna say that um, from a from a point of view of influencing um, using the data um, to a room of engineers, if I'm understanding your question correctly, Marcus, it's the it's the stories that you know we bring in, uh, which uh, which need to be like really convincing, and show how people actually work in the real world and think in the real world which really uh, then makes people change their hearts and minds about the Excel sheet. You know, it's like, as long as we talk in terms of numbers, it doesn't, it doesn't transform. But when the people stories start coming in, then it causes that shift to happen. So it makes people think things in a different way than just looking at the numbers. That's, that's my taken experience on that. Okay, cool point. I mean, I, I completely accept this point, right? But I'm also going to challenge it. I want to know, do you then just add the piece of information that you get as an anthropologist right next in the next column in the Excel sheet, or do you actually convince the engineer to see the world differently and then also build the product differently? And if this is the case, I wonder how do engineers all of a sudden build products differently? Um, it's, the, it's the second one. Um, like it doesn't stop after you show um, that video or after you show that finding, you have to be constantly working with it, making it stick. Um, because you're right, like engineers are going to keep building products they want to build because they're cool to build, you know. 
but till you start making them think differently so it's it it, it involves making the organization think differently using those pieces of data right which makes that change and it takes time it does not happen you know in the in one half or the second half it can take like you know a couple of different halves to get to that point okay so if, if i understand it correctly and maybe this is um, again engaging every one of you all of you or maybe also especially Veta again in the case of spotify um does that mean also with spotify you are actually you you actually forced or or um evolved a change process within the company rather than within a very specific project or prototype building process etc it depends but for the, for this particular um on this particular project i think it was really like to to challenge their thinking and to help them um come up with different frameworks for what might create those better um, experiences and how people could help uh, how spotify could help people discover uh, content better mm -hmm. so that means at spotify they now look also they look for different data now is that correct um well i can't can't really speak for for spotify um so i i, I don't know but if you watch yeah i think um I don't know. Um, for there are some products that are inspired um, by by the insight here, and I think Deb talked about it in that epic conference. But yeah, I don't want to like really get in there because um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Any other questions, comments? Uh, Iveta, I would like to say that at least I see one of the things that uh, the the two models that you were that you mentioned. I kind of see it in the playlists that Spotify creates right now because they create lists for specific things, not only like genders of music. While in the past you would have like pop jazz something or like that, now they say classical music for reading jazz music for walking, stuff like that. So it kind of goes into what the models that you were talking about, as this is not, not the sort of music that you will think a lot about, but you will use it as a background sound kind of. So, so I would say that they are incorporating it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, as as agency, you know, we get involved in the 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 research, and I can't really yeah talk about what happens after. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, um, I also wondered, you know, because I think you did said that before that she actually got an Instagram ad to learn German, even though she's German, right? Um, so there's lots of failure with personalization, obviously, and recommended rank recommender system. So I just wonder, maybe we have some topics to talk about this too, and and how anthropology might also help with this. And here, shout out uh, digital methods too, by the way. We talk about that in our group discussion. Uh, Judith was the one with the German language, and we talked about the the ads that we are getting. Uh, 
and also like how we should get involved in that as individuals because we have the chance to say this is not an ad for me i do not want to see this again but where does the responsibility rely on like why should i be saying that should the platform actually give me the ads that i want do i actually want that sort of personalization content so i think that's the problem that we have right now because when you get an ad that you get really happy about like oh this is really going to help me i was looking for this this is what i want but then when you get an ad that you don't want you start thinking like why is the platform giving me this ad what is behind this what is the data behind this so even the platforms are kind of wrestling with this so i think that maybe anthropology can help with that i think this is precisely like the 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 questions that i think we we should be asking like where is the um i feel like there's this with algorithms and when they work we kind of don't question it becomes like normalized and actually like what anthropology can do is constantly denormalize because that's what we are so good at and reverse engineer and to problematize everything um when things don't work, it's almost easy for everybody to just realize like, oh, hold on. But I think as algorithms get better and as our experiences become a lot smoother and the recommendations become bigger, I think there will be a lot of value in helping us kind of deconstruct that experience. And yeah, um, even with things like I've, I've been following this, um, Hume, uh, what's the name of it? Um, this Tristan guy from formerly from Google, um, Center for Humane Technologies. I don't know if you guys like, yeah, if you're familiar with it. So yeah, they 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 have really interesting podcasts on um, ethics of um, technology, etc. And um, when it comes to things like misinformation etc like there's all these strategies that we need to use to 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 tackle it and they are all about like kind of creating a less frictionless experience to introduce friction to yeah so, so i think those things are really important and, and interesting for us to think about because they are um i don't know yeah <laughs> One thing that uh, made me uh, think about the whole business with recommendation systems and algorithms, um, and correct me, maybe I'm wrong, maybe you guys think I'm wrong, um, or that I'm off in a strange, in a strange trajectory, but um, so sometimes, I mean, often they don't work, but isn't there also beauty in that, in that sometimes when they don't work, you get to find something that's, you know, serendipitous or haphazard or, um, you know, surprising. And I guess the whole business with recommending and the algorithm picking up your, um, what you find meaning in and, you know, what you like and what to recommend, it's also purposeful. Um, and on the other hand, um, I wonder sometimes what is lost in 
in the other side where you find yourself exposed to really strange content just because the algorithm was broken, but you kind of love it. Um, and now you found, you know, something new to fall in love with or, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, that was just uh, going through my mind and whether, and then of course, you know, in the context of you, you have to, because I would say serendipity is very central to anthropology. We very often stumble upon things and it's very generative, right? Um, and it's also an interesting process when you are thinking about meaning generation and meaning making. Um, and then the question that I'll ask to, the, to that, um, given that we are talking about Spotify, I think my, uh, my connection is really unstable and I have to apologize, I don't know. If you guys can hear me, we can. Um, it's 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 a bit but laggy, but it there, works. Is there a business model uh, that Spotify is, or you know, whatever platform is out there that they're missing out in making things so purposeful and so perfectly engineered for purpose that they're missing out on all these other things here, right? Like negative space. You know what I mean? Well, I think that there's also a question of what people are doing um, in to, to break out of their own taste. Um, and I'm sure like as anthropologists, if we were to do research, we would find interesting things on, let's say, you know, people ask for different recommendations. I'm sure like that's what all of us do in some uh, ways that we might not even be always aware of that, you know, we go um, you know, we ask somebody what they're listening to, or uh, you hear music on in a commercial, TV commercial or something, and you look for it. And then there's those platforms like TikTok, which are so, <laughs> which are really interesting because they are um, so intense and they give you like so much different content. Um, that it almost always feels like a little bit serendipitous or at least like for me because I haven't been using it much so I feel like it doesn't know me so everything is quite random. You know like I was thinking sometimes you walk into a store and they're playing what they know some uh, um, you know Brazilian fusion and you're like oh I've, I don't even know what this is called but I love it and then you know you you are on the Brazilian fusion vibe for three months and then that's okay, you're, you're no longer. So in, in terms of the range of experiences that people have, especially with something as special as music, right? I mean, it's so, um, yeah. Um, I think that, that, you know, just this, this whole pursuit of purpose for everything is kind of, uh, missing out on a lot of lived experience i guess that's uh but yeah i'm i'm gonna stop stop there i think there was there were a few really interesting points and somebody also just sent it in this in the in the chat before it was um marguerite uh, who said that they talked about um connecting shared taste and um, difference in taste and also building bridges, relationships through shared taste, I guess, and music recommendation. Um, and I, what, what I realized before was that 
for me also Spotify is not just saying, you know, here is the, the Sunday playlist or here's the, the, the concentration playlist or whatsoever workout playlist. But whenever I jump into one of those, I also discover some sort of new song that I really like. And this might be Brazilian fusion, right? That was completely unexpected for me after all. Um, and, and somehow I explore with this, right? And the other example that I realized before was, I don't know if you can relate to this, but you know, in, in, when we are in our youth phase, maybe we have friends and group pressure and, and so on that influence, uh, influences a lot, right? For example, I, I all of a sudden found myself listening to music. I hated before, right? Just because my friends loved it. Um, and after a while, you listen to some songs and you get it. You understand what it's actually about. And you listen to the kind of unique cues in the songs that make it special. And all of a sudden you like it and you have a group of friends that like the music and really appreciate it together. So even there, you kind of find new things that you that were completely unexpected for you. And I think somehow this is still also happening on, on Spotify today. Um, um, so I'm not sure if the recommendation then is good, recommending me all the same, uh, all the, all the um, always the similar songs to me, or whether the recommendation should also kind of throw in some sort of extravagance all, um, every now and then, right? Hmm. I think often algorithms do use these um, uh, elements of weirdness or something unexpected. I think that's part of them, but I'm not an engineer, so I don't know, but I, I think they, they do that. Oh, really? So, so because <laughs> some, some people, Sil Silvana, you nodded your head, right? Yeah. So algorithms usually already throw in on purpose some kind of outlier. I think that might be part of the um, um, AI, artificial intelligence, that that's already programmed in, you know, to simulate. Um, um, yeah, that outliers are <laughs> put in to kind of, that, that's what artificial intelligence, but it does also, it, it does it on a pattern. So we're still within the pattern, you know? So anything, whenever we do automation, it will always be on some sort of the basics for it all, it will be frequency, no matter what, right? And if I throw in the outline liars on a frequency basis, right? <laughs> if I programmed that before. But I actually wanted to say something else. I mean, you know, listening to you guys, what we always have to remember, um, whether we analyze our multitudes of data and how in whatever form they come in, or whether we are a Spotify customer, we have choices. So what Spotify does, it, it gives us something based on whatever pattern, and now they have new ways of creating patterns and making recommendations. I can decide, well, that's interesting, but basically show it the finger and say, I'm not following it. You know, I mean, actually you, because you suggest something to me, I'm doing something completely different. And for us as scientists, when we analyze our data, basically all these various forms, whether it's um, text analysis or using algorithms to find patterns or um, looking for the thing that isn't there, all of these multitudes, they help us to see yet something else. And that being open to seeing yet something else, that's our choice and that's our humanity. And so, um, I wouldn't be worried about a thing in this respect. I mean, all these different new methods, um, they give us yet another way to see. Um, do we want to see it? 
Or do we want to then say, hey, that's interesting, but now because of that, I'm turning around. <laughs> and, you know, um, I, I, I'm, I'm saying that to Iveta because you basically posed the question, what am I gonna, uh, you know, how am I gonna, you know, that fear that I often experience, um, am I basically directed by the algorithms or am I directed by, by the pattern or by something else tricking me? And, and I think we always have the choice. Um, I think there you always do have a choice, but it can also be engineered, and it can be you can be helped by 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 that experience. So, for example, somebody at the same panel that I was presenting this uh, epic was talking about their own kind of exper experiment that they did. Um, so he um, started he he created a database of all the books that he's read, and then are you frozen? Hey. Hmm. Iveta has it like a, <laughs> a long one. <laughs> Let's see if she comes back. Um, maybe not. That's unfortunate in the middle of the yeah. story. Um, right. In in the mil in the meantime, I wanted to say, Christina, I I understand you that you that you say. We usually have a choice, but I also worked for two years on, on self-driving cars or automated mm -hmm. cars. And then you also have situations where you might not have a choice based on the recommender systems, right? Um, and, and how the whole algorithm works. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing is obviously many people or scholars have, have studied and written about how much even micro impressions of commercials do influence us, right? Mm. So even with that, I wonder how much choice is our choice in the end still, or is it really just building up? I still don't know myself, to be honest, but I'm, I'm looking forward to hear your opinion on this too. Maybe this is probably my illusion of having a choice. I want to. You do have to consciously exercise it. It, it is probably a mindset, and um, um, but but yeah, if I don't don't look it straight into the straight at it, that you know, or in other words, I have to realize how much all this data manipulates me. Um, I think one of you guys said I forgot who, but. I think you were, Marcus, that you've been influenced by your friends. I mean, we've experienced that as teenagers, that we sometimes didn't feel we had a choice, you know, because we wanted to be loved and we wanted to be liked and we didn't have a choice. We, we thought there was no choice. I had to look like X, you know, otherwise I was not an, a good person, whatever else. You, you fill in the blanks, right? Um, I mean, we've always been in situations where, where we think we you know, we are manipulated by the outside. And now more than ever, that I certainly give us all. We are more now, it's much harder than ever before to, um, to basically make room to hear your own voice or to hear yourself or to, you know, and, and a lot of these things only are possible if you, if you basically schedule yourself. Some people call it meditation. Some people go for a walk or whatever else, but where you consciously say, okay, now... <laughs> I'm I'm trying to have a break from it all and but yeah do we have a choice do we not have a choice that's a philosophy that's basically now we're getting into the realm of philosophy <laughs> all right yeah Iveta welcome yeah. back yes 
We cannot hear you yet. Oh, sorry. Uh, my internet yeah. got disconnected, so I had to connect on my phone. <laughs> this is like the, the worst moment for my internet connection to break. Mm. No worries. No worries. We just talked about whether we really have a choice and in what situations we might not have a choice, like self-driving cars, we might not have a choice after all because the algorithm just does what it does. Mm. Um, Whereas with, with TV commercials, for example, very obvious ones, we might not end up buying a car just because they show us a monster truck or whatever. Um, but my question is then also, might we, after all, buy stuff because I have just seen commercials 10 times. I don't even know that I saw them, right? This is what kind of freaks me out. Um, and at least they say that, <laughs> that this works like that. I'm still not completely believing it, but apparently yes. But um, yeah, Iveta, you just wanted to tell a story about somebody doing a self-experiment with books. Yeah, I don't know when at what moment I cut off. Um, but yeah, the, the point was that this, um, uh, this researcher, he was, collecting, he, he was collecting data on the books that he was reading and he found out that he was reading mostly books by um, male authors. And then that's what inspired him to read books by female authors. So that moment of reflection that was that basically he engineered for himself uh, enabled him to to explore and to kind of craft or, or to yeah to have control and more agency of what, what he was doing. So that, that there's like an interesting benefit of this. Um, yeah, I think um, discovery can. Yeah, can can be can be a positive thing. What, what the other thing that I'm um, interested in is understanding like what the implications are of of discovery happening really fast and us not being able to to even think like what what do I want to read? What do I want to listen to? Um, and yeah, when things get really very personalized then how do i at what point do i become aware of you know this is like i need to break out or yeah i don't know i think these are the questions probably everybody is asking mm. um i think simon just unmuted himself uh, to say a few things i also have one more sentence and i also wanted to say i think soon it's time to to wrap up so um, for those people that want to, I'd like to make a, a quick round again, maybe talk about what we learned or what was exciting today, um, just kind of also get some sort of feedback. Um, maybe before you, Simon, I just add one more sentence to what Iveta said now, kind of finding things too fast without really thinking about it or also kind of stumbling upon them. Um, in our last simple session with Kevin Ekraki, um, he talked about this app called Flaneur. They basically built the, some sort of opposite of Google Maps, right? This app is not bringing you to the goal with the most efficient path, but it's just showing you the direction and you should kind of find your path through the city on your own by looking around and experiencing the environment and the context, which I find is very beautiful, right? It's not focusing on go to A from A to B as, as quick as possible, but experience your surroundings again, which is nice. And I think it's kind of relating to what you said, Iveta. 
Yeah, just about that. I was actually directly thinking about, you know, the thing of Kevin that he um, was also saying about, you know, the Flaneur app, you know, really based on the experience of, of Paris, where it's really like a very rudimentary interface that, you know, really guides you and make you more turn into streets or turn around corners and, and just, you know, make your eyes more focused on the surroundings. And the same thing can, for instance, happen. And I don't know if you were, um, you know, into that rage when, you know, at the beginning of the 2010s, when, when records came back on the, the shelf and everyone was really um, back into uh, vinyl and stuff like that. Um, I used to frequent these stores a lot. And if you happen to still have one of these old ones, they have, you know, one of these pickups that everyone can use and you can just, you know, take one of these LPs out of the sleeve and still that's your, um, that's the fun also because, you know, you can fidget with all these knobs and you can fit it and you can, you know, um, you know, lift up the pickup and see where, what track you like the most out of whatever vinyl record that you can find. So it's, I was just thinking in, you know, two old terms as well in philosophy, that's positive, positive and negative freedom. You can still say, okay, there's positive freedom in algorithms. They offer you something and you have freedom towards something, this real um, offer that you can choose from. And there is also the negative freedom that is freedom from, or, you know, um, it's more of the, the thing that, you know, you choose your own path away from something and not towards something. So, Instead of, you know, you can, instead of, you know, following the algorithms, you still have the liberty to unlock and unblock and just go out in the streets, go into the old quarters and see if there's still some of the old records store left that, you know, have this guy that knows all the records, just ask him, do you have something free jazz like it just goes to, you know, your nearby shelf and he knows exactly what record you like. That's how you sort of have a mentorship and that is a real experience. But I also had it in a music store somewhere in the small Belgian city. This, this guy was just, you know, full of CDs and records. And the only thing that he know, you know, he had, a, he had the entire catalog just stored in his head. And that's also a different experience. So if we're only to a certain extent, you know, dependent on technology, it's also, you know, people's embodied things and, you know, the own catalog that they store just right here or right here. You know, we have to see right here because that's what, you know, Simon Roberts saw this. It's not just the cerebral thing. We're not just, you know, you know, brains and, and in a vat full of neurons. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot the uh, expression, but it's, um, yeah, it's really like the embodied thing. That's more of an embodied faculty. So we, there is no real or, you know, the technological determinism is a matter of degree. That's basically my point. Well, the old word, just one word, context. I mean, I always think about context in the end, you know, and that's what we anthropologists are about. I mean, to find the context, so. Very nice. Uh, yeah, great. Thanks, uh, Simon, also for example. I think it was a beautiful one too, and also connecting it, perfectly connecting it back to Simon's talk as well with embodiment. Um, should, we, should we go a, a quick round? Just everyone gives a little bit of feedback of what was interesting or challenging today. And then, then we finish up this session today. Who wants to start? Judith? Yeah, I really like the um, 
um, this take on um, not thinking about needs but about meanings and I think that's um, a very yeah very valuable thing that anthropology can um, bring into user research because it's so much focused on needs on this more rational thinking about needs and uh, thinking about meanings um, is uh, I think yeah would be very helpful. Okay, who's next? Um, Silvana, when you, you want to go? I'm thinking of so many things at this point. <laughs> the, yeah, the, the talk was really interesting, Iveta, and uh, our discussion was really... I just wanted to point out one thing about the Google thing that we talk on the other, um, on the other meeting, because Google just gave uh, their presentation of the products and the changes that they're making. And I thought it was very interesting that it goes to the opposite direction because they're giving the users the possibility to make changes in Google Maps, like give more directions, be more strict about the names of the streets and all of that. So you can actually edit everything on maps. So I was like, when I saw that, I was like, no, Flanuch, let's go to Flanuch now. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> they have this tool and it's so great. Let's just get lost in the city. So I think for me, it's always to kind of balance, but it's very hard also for the companies. And I think we can bring that to the companies to like push them a little bit off that user need always, because I think that's what they search for. And it's normal, it's a company, so we can maybe bring that and also help with the data. I think that's very important because usually we're not interfering in the data when we, when you talk about the Excel sheets and all of that, we don't give as much input as maybe we could in uh, parameters for that Excel sheet. So maybe we can also do that as anthropologists, not only putting one thing there, but actually explaining like, why don't we choose something else? And then the algorithm would work in another way, the data will be different, the output will be different. I don't know, feeding the machine in a different way, maybe. Mm. So yeah, thank you so much for the talk today. It was super nice. Cool. Um, maybe I go next because I have a lot of thoughts on what you just said, Silvana, so thanks for that. Um, one of the things that I thought always before this session also was that I'm really interested in something, I think it's called data ethnography, where you basically just you just follow the development of an algorithm as an anthropologist and try to figure out, okay, what goes in, what goes out, can you still trace it? And um, how do how does the machine or the, the, the team of engineers make sense of things and how do they influence the output? So this was data ethnography for me. And when, um, when, when I hear thick data, I expect that we are putting in our somehow magic sauce into the equation and influence the output. Um, I still don't really know how I would do it myself. So this is something I'm still fishing for. Um, but I think today's discussion really helped me to understand a few things better and um, hear also how we might not always have to kind of directly influence the algorithm, but also focus a bit more on just changing perspectives overall. Laura? 
my kind of comment was um and uh, i mean of course i appreciate it and 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 i loved the the all of the conversation um but i really really like the fact that you use theory to frame the challenge um because i think um you know that's that's at a different level of engaging with your talk better but um i really like that because i think that's that's something that is uh often lost right i mean we always talk about the value of anthropology to business uh, in business situations and then um um it's always about the method but there is this world of theory that we could bring to the table that really does help with how do we ask the questions how do we frame the problems how do we um uh, really even challenge uh, challenge our customers so that was something that uh that i really enjoyed about uh, also the structure of your entire approach to to that client and that and that project so that was inspiring. Cool, uh, Christina. Yeah. Oh, um, on. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Iveta. I that was my thought exactly. Wow, theory, awesome. <laughs> so thank you for that, and and also thank you for reminding me that um, sometimes I should challenge myself, um, go on some paths that I usually don't go. You know, because that's what really the whole discussion brought out, how easily it is to come up with yet another fancy way of recommend something to me without pulling the wool over my eyes, uh, without me even knowing, um, being, you know, introduced to some new things. And yet it, it is somebody else directing me and um, that I need to be vigilant. So thank you. Cool. Taylor, anything you want to say? just interesting to have a bit of a different approach even looking at something like that Spotify that you use every day and you don't really think about how the algorithm can how it can shape your music and how it can um, how you even interact with the app itself so I found that really interesting and I really actually I also really appreciated the fact that you use the theory and that having that visual and just kind of seeing um, how the different types how people listen to music, the different, so people who are more interactive versus it's in the background and how that can have an impact on your, uh, your music choices, your everyday life. So that I found really interesting. And it actually got me looking at the algorithm piece, how uh, it's interesting personally when there's recommendations, if there's a recommendation for me, I ignore it. it I don't like it. I don't like the AI aspect. And I just think it's, uh, it spooks me more. So it's interesting getting everybody's thoughts and opinions on the algorithm piece as well. Um, but I found your presentation absolutely fascinating. It's got me really thinking about a few different pieces. So thank you. Nice. And uh, Nana, do you want to say something? Teresa, I think you're still only writing, right? Um, I, I've just been listening mostly. Um, it's, it's really cool. Like, I think music has a lot of, like, I don't know, like, future potential, maybe for lack of a better word, um, in general. So, like, I just want to say this talk was really like cool. Like I can see like this um, research being like expanded, like like to make like like anthropology of like modern music or something like that. Um, sorry, it's just like a very general comment. Like everything else, everyone's saying sounds really chill. 
<laughs> okay, cool. No worries, Nana. Uh, no, no. Okay, Simon, uh, last sentences and then the very last word to Iveta, where I also want to hear what you learned out of the discussion today. Yeah, um, I think um, one of the great merits of having this talk is that we're getting like stepwise closer and closer to this un unraveling of, you know, the, um, the symbiosis between thick and, and big data. So for that reason, I think it's uh, great that we have, you know, encountered these terms of regularity and scalability as, you know, part of how, the, how these can, you know, be sutured by these two categories, so to speak. So I think for that reason alone, it was a very useful talk that you provided us, Iveta. Many thanks. And I'm also going to put the question of today in the Slack group of um, the Applied Club so people can, uh, yes, <laughs> Marcus approves, nice. Okay, um, so um, that's something that I'm, that, that really fascinated me. And what also was really fascinating about this talk is that, you know, when you were mentioning the two columns, like the two models, I was already thinking in sort of an archetype of what both represented. Um, for the, the musical um, engagement, for instance, I was really thinking about, you know, the converser, who is the guy who's, or the per, or the girl who's mostly like very categorical about music. Like, um, I, I know what I want. I, I, that's the thing that's, that's the thing that, that, that I right now need for, uh, for me, for a certain, um, yeah, there's more like a, a more tight back loop. And then the other one is more like, you know, the thing ingrained in performance. So it's it's really useful to, to see, you know, how it makes you think about different things and how it's again, like a very, has a, still has a very performative frame, even though we're um, sort of contributing to um, this thing of scalability and usability, so to speak. So that's very enlightening, many thanks. Thanks, Simon. And maybe one last sentence for you. Also, maybe you can also take this question with you, Simon, for the Digital Club um, and think about how can something like digital methods and remote research methods also help to, to kind of discover meaning for things like recommender systems. I think that would be interesting, even though um, I think the meaning that Iveta was adding might not have been found in digital spaces only. But okay, Iveta, what, uh, how was it for you today? What did you learn? How, how was it? Thank you so much for, for this discussion. I, I feel like the, the best part is to realize that other people are thinking about it and they are not maybe as pessimistic, um, that there's this, um, yeah, this, this anthropological curiosity and optimism um, about and, and desire for like serendipity and, and not this doom and gloom like oh my god we're going to be <laughs> determined by our algorithms so that was really that was really great I'm super excited and um, and I think I I also feel like there's so much more to explore and so many more discussions to be had um, around these topics because I, yeah it's just such a um, new fascinating area that we don't fully understand yet so I'll be really interested in having more conversations with people. Great, everyone. Uh, thanks, Iveta, again for joining us and, and holding this uh, amazing 
talk and informing us about the, the cool project that you did with Stripe and Spotify using theory for a recommender system. Definitely one of the unique things I have not seen before. Um, so very grateful for having you. Thanks everyone for joining. This was a pleasure and I hope we see each other soon again. We keep you posted about future Thank events. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for watching or listening. And don't miss the next episode of EASA's Applied Anthropology Network's Apply Club events.